Rocking chair session. With Lisa Di Battista, Maria Teresa Barber. Hi, everyone, and welcome to RCS Rocking Chair Sessions, with Volume 42. 42, 42, with our esteemed guest, Michelle Lisa Poulisson. Poulisson? That's exactly right. No, I was, I was oh, practicing all day, you know, I was visualizing. I was like, how would I say yeah, that? How would yeah, I say that? Okay. no, because a lot of I'm people glad. are like, they say Polisanti, and they like add all these syllables, and I'm like, no, like we don't have syllables like that. <laughs> In my culture, it's just not there. You just you just do it straightforward. Yeah, and it's that's just polisson. Like this is it. Well, I mean, we. I'm saying this as if it's like normal to like not say the teeth, but you know. Okay. Well, let's let's jump into the polisson. Um, <laughs> the name. Where does it come from? That name is French, but my people uh, were brought on a slave ship from West Africa to the island of Haiti, Hispaniola. Uh, so my friend name is my name is French, but I'm of Haitian origin, African origin, um, Taino origin, Haitian Caribbean person. <laughs> Do you know where from in Africa? I mean, I always assume West Africa. I'm not sure what the I would have gotten the DNA tests, right? But now they can fucking sell it. Sorry, can I curse? Walmart, yeah, you can curse as much as you okay. want, but Walmart sells the kit now. Have yeah, everyone that? sells the kits now. Amazon, everyone, but they they can sell your DNA information now. So like now I don't want to get it cuz like why? I don't know. I don't see why you need to sell my DNA kit, my DNA information, but well, I get might. it, but I also mm -hmm. am like I don't know, that's mine. They might want to clone you. Perhaps. That'd be really weird, right? But it's like, what if that was like a thing? Like in like 2000, like like 3042, they've got every artist's like DNA, they're and they're just, just like, like acquiring are we producing it? artists that we can keep making their work and keep making money. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we just went really we just, left, we <laughs> really quick, like great. super we, left. We, we just, just went we took a turn. Like, I know. Well, we took a turn. But they're the lens. But uh, I mean, it's. Let's let's talk a little bit more about Haiti because there was so and much heritage. in the first sentence. That you said. I was well, like, there is West Africa, there's it's Haiti, hard. It's there's like, the French, and you know, there's yeah. your name. There's I've been thinking a lot about my origins in in that particular context. Like, I'm. I identify as Haitian, you know, mm -hmm. like that's my default. I also identify as like Southern, like I'm Southern Florida, like I'm from South Florida, but like I grew up in Palm Beach. It's a little different from like Miami. Totally. Um, I grew up with like, you know. I grew up in what I call a southern surf town, you know? Okay. So, like, I identify with some of the sentiments that exist in that space. Um, I just think, like, all of our origins are super nuanced, and sometimes when people ask where I'm from, I'm like, ah! you know, because it's, like, a little... It's like, always a, complex. Silly. Yeah, I'm so like... So you I'm, were born in Florida? I was born in Florida. I was born at Bethesda Memorial Hospital. You know, shout out. <laughs> August 27th, 1991, that's when my parents found me, you know. 1991. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's that young, but I feel like everybody else around me is like, hey, what, you're so little. <laughs> 91. I'm not an ageist, but continue. <laughs> In high school, in 1991, I was in high school. You're a little younger, but I'm I'm pretty old, pretty up there. But um, but you you look great. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, you know you're in trouble when people feel like they have to say that. No, but you. I mean, I I don't know. I'm in my mind, you're like 30, so I don't know. Oh, thank I you. I don't know. Yeah. I really, 
I don't assume any, I don't like, I'm, I don't like ask anyone their age. I just assume it, I'll say, honestly. And I'm just like, everyone's like 30. And there's like very few people in my life who I'm like, oh, you must be like an old person. Never like my parents. They're like in their 70s. So your parents were, were they, did they live in Haiti or? Yeah. And my parents so are your first generation. I'm first generation. You're first generation. American, sorry. Um, and my parents, they left Haiti in the 80s or 90s, and then they were living in St. Martin for a while, and then came here. St. Martin was like the stop off. My father like waited there for my mom. Like he like went there first. It was, it's super cute. He went there. <laughs> I love this story about my dad because it's like so indicative of how like uh, quaffed he likes to be all the time. And like, if I start cr tearing up, it's just because like I really love my parents; are really cute. But like, my father, he always says that like when my mom was coming from Haiti to St. Martin to like live with him there because he was already there um, with my sister, he's like, I didn't sleep in the bed because I didn't want to mess it up because he like made the bed. <laughs> the cutest thing you've ever in your whole life. It's like, oh relationship goals, like, as fuck. Like, are you serious? Like, I just can't deal with it. I go home to my parents, and I'm just like, I don't know where I'm going to find this. Like, I don't know where. Like, what the oh, fuck? And they have been together for... Uh... I mean, since they were really young, like, my, I think she was... My, my father was my mother's first, like, serious relationship mm -hmm. in life. So, and there's... Yeah. My mom's going to be 70, 1949, next year. Cool. My father's gonna be 72 next year. Yes. Yeah, they're pretty cool people. They've like been through like their, you know, like the whole ups and downs things. But yeah, so they're from they're Haitian, and then. Um, uh, uh, do American. you remember? Uh, do you know? Um, you know what was their final decision to to leave Haiti? Do you know? Um, my father like had all these things that he wanted to see his children do, and at the time it wasn't very diff very easy, so. One of his big things is like he wants us to go to college and like have an education and do all this stuff. So Haiti at the time didn't really have a prospect for college, you know, um, and university. And so he moved them to St. Martin. St. Martin was kind of a stop off because at the time too, St. Martin didn't have like a university. The kids had access to education, but um, like I have cut, like they had to travel. So St. Martin is split between two sides. Um, it's the Dutch and the French. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're a recent college grad, a high school graduate, graduate or um, college, college, I'm, it's like one of those language problems. It's college in the French and Dutch system, but it's high school in American system. But so if you're going in, you're going on to university. Um, at the time when my parents were there, you would go to whichever side you were a resident of. Um, my family lived on the Dutch side, so my brothers and sister would have had to go to um, the Netherlands to go to school. And if they were on the French side of my cousins, I have French cousins who would go to the French, to France. And so um, I have cousins who like go to school in like Germany and different places because at the time there wasn't a program. Now there is. Um, there's a university in St. Martin now, and there's universities in Haiti now, but at the time there weren't, so then my father was like, okay, I want my kids to be able to go to school and like not have to like do all that. And so he moved to Miami for a while with my siblings. I have two, I have, well, there's five, four siblings. There's five of us total. Um, he moved to Miami, and then from Miami, they ended up in Palm Beach, because my father was like, he didn't like Miami. Because at the time, it was like um, cocaine cowboys, mm -hmm. like, Drug. It was a rough city world, at the yeah. time. So um, I say I keep saying they left Haiti in the 80s. They moved to the United States in the 80s. They left mm -hmm. Haiti way before that. But mm -hmm. 
yeah, so like they, it was like the drug, the drug, the like fast life situation was happening here. Um, and I had like an uncle who lived here and mm -hmm. who had already lived here. So they moved from, eventually they settled in Delray Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was where they like. And you did get your education that your father I wanted did, for you. I did, I did. I'm working on a master's now. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, like I'm like, I was like super, I was like super glad to be able to like do that. Um, did all your siblings go uh, go to college and get a degree? Uh, everyone except for two, technically. My oldest brother, he got like a technical certification, so he degree, finished yeah. school, but like not a college degree. My other brother passed away at 20, time, yeah. 23, sorry. Yeah, 23, so no. He was 23? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, he got really sick. Oh, yeah. oh my God. He got super sick and then, um, yeah, died. Yeah. That was, uh, was, I was 21 at the time, and um, what is that? 2012, mm -hmm. right? No, shit. It was 2012, that was six years ago. Six years ago. Yeah, I was 21 at the time. I'd be turning 27 this year, that's mm -hmm. why. Okay, that's a good number. 27 well, was a good year for me, yeah. Was it? <laughs> Seven. Yeah. 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 I was getting my master's too. But you're having an amazing year, we have to say, right? It's like. Yeah, I can't complain about my year. An yeah. amazing show <laughs> at Spinella Projects. An Thank amazing you. job at Locus Project. Uh, you were curating a show. I did. I curated a show this year as well. At the uh, Spinello Annex. The Annex. Kind of, yeah. Right? Like the Annex is part of like the Fordistas situation. Mm -hmm. Ford has like a, an art. They, have, they kind of explain it. Like they have an art section of their whole like philanthropic um, programming, mm -hmm. and that's what Fordistas is. And so it's like. And they are also doing a podcast, I believe. They did, yeah. There was like, there's, I think there's two with me on them. There's yeah. one with like um, just me as an individual, and there's one with uh, me and the group mm -hmm. of artists that I put in the show. Mm -hmm. um, that was really cool. It was, it was a cool mm -hmm. thing to mm -hmm. do. Yeah. But what I also wanted to, to get at, because um, I, that's, that's why I also asked more about your parents and your background, because the show that you had at Spinello's was also a lot about photos that you took in, in Haiti, right? Mm -hmm. So you actually did go back to Haiti. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for only that time, or did you go back more frequently as a kid or growing up? or? So when I was a kid, that was the thing, like I grew up quite conservative and like very like, I didn't like do clubs and all that stuff because my parents didn't really trust American kids. <laughs> they just didn't, like American kids grew up very differently than, sometimes I still think the cultural difference exists even though I didn't grow up in a Haitian like house in Haiti. Um, they didn't really trust like American parenting, like Amer like sleepovers, like what the fuck is a sleepover? Like <laughs> you have a bed here, you know, we cook you dinner every night, you want to go sleep at someone else's house, you know, like that type of stuff. And, um, <laughs> Is your parents too? My parents did that too. Yeah, it's like a thing. And so um, because of that, we didn't like do that stuff. Like I didn't celebrate Halloween. Like my first Halloween ever was like last year. And I didn't really, I was like, I don't get this. But um, it was fun for the I night. I don't really like Halloween either. I'm from Austria, so it's kind of like. It goes Halloween's really weird. I don't know. And I don't know who everyone is because they're wearing masks. I don't like that. But, um, <laughs> but like. It's true. It's true. It's, it's really weird. It's yeah. really strange, but be so they they because of that we didn't do like clubs and stuff, but we traveled every summer pretty much when I was a kid. Oh wow! So we went to Saint Martin and Haiti mostly. My I, I had um, my parents had connections to Saint Martin still, 
Um, and my uncle lived there at the time before he passed away with his wife and his like son. And so we would go there. That was like my favorite place to go at the time. And then we'd go to Haiti sometimes. And of course, I didn't like Haiti back then because it was like nothing that we can really do besides like hanging out. And my parents live in like a small village, like so small. Um, and so for a long time, that was like my life. And then as I got older, my, it was like my parents would go and we wouldn't go, mm-hmm. you know? I don't so know, you didn't want to go anymore, kind of? I don't know if it was, was I didn't want to go. I just don't remember, I don't remember actually what it was, but like it changed. And so um, my parents stopped really taking us with them. And instead we would just, uh, we would stay here. And then um, what I was, I can't really, I can't think of what, how, what age I was in. I was, the, okay. <laughs> One of the things my reference point sometimes is like where I was working or like what was happening in my life outside of it. I'm going to say I was working at Applebee's as a hostess. So I was probably Whoa. like 16 or 17 at the time. And, um, <laughs> I like, you're like it's laughing, great. you're like silently no, like giggling at this. She doesn't want to get on record. With no, her I love it because it's like, yeah, sometimes you do have to like work. Oh my God. I worked shit jobs, but like that was one of them. And oh, Me too. I was fired from Olive Garden at one point in my life. So like That's really glad I'm doing now. really, really well. <laughs> um, but so I, at the time I was there, so it was probably 16 or 17. My grandmother was really, really sick. Um, it was right after the earthquakes. That was 2000. The earthquake happened in 2010, right? Recently. I'm bad with numbers. I believe. Fuck. Were you able um, to fly in after the earthquake? Huh? Were you able to fly in post-earthquake? To- yeah, so like I went like right after the earthquake. So was I 16 or 17? Maybe like 10 years ago. I'm, timelines are really bad for me when it comes to that type of stuff, but it was a little while after the earthquake, like a few months. Um, so much so that like now it takes about two hours to drive from my parents' house to the capital or vice versa. Back then it took like five or six wow. almost because there was so many like boulders in the street yes. that like basically like, because really when you're in really far villages like my parents are in, it's basically just like breaking. You have to, it's either you like break it yourself with like tools that everybody has or you wait for them to get to you, which, which means they have to break through everything on the way down. Um, so that was really what was the situation there. And so my grandma was really sick, so we went there to see her. And so that was at that point, like right after the earthquake. And then um, I graduated from college in 2014. And then my gift from my parents was a gift to go back to go to Haiti. Wow. And that was like, I was like, I don't need anything else. Like, I just want to go back to Haiti. And then that kind of charted the process of me going back and forth every once in a while. I've gone back uh, like three or four times since that one. And then I'm going back again. Fingers crossed in March with like everyone. Like we're all gonna fly separately and meet there. And I'm like so pumped. Like I don't think everyone, anyone understands. Like today I almost cried and I realized I could have the time because it's like, you know, like my uh, my brother hasn't been left the country since he moved here as a child. He's gonna bring his wife and his son, who's like they're both very American. And then like my my sister um, and her two daughters are gonna go with us. And then my parents and my oldest, my sister Yolanda and myself. It's literally all of the kids, my parents and their kids and their children for the first time ever. And like this has been something that my parents have wanted for like their whole lives. Their entire house that they built was just for this. And it makes me so fucking excited that they're gonna actually get to see it. And like even if I can't end up not being able to go, I just hope that everybody else gets to go. Because I think it's like this thing that's been such like a goal for my parents is to have all of their kids like in this house they built for them. So they built a house in Haiti? Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Every, pretty much every Haitian family you know probably in the United States has a house in Haiti. <laughs> Yeah, like it's like a thing. Like it's like a, that's like the standard. Also, it's very cheap. Like I think it would totally cost them like 30 grand or something like that to do it over time. So, so like, you always have a place to go when you go to Haiti, you can be yeah, in Yeah, and that's bench. really nice. That's really nice because like hotels are fine, but it's like, I don't know, like Family. there's like a standard. Like I forgot like a tube of toothpaste there last year. It's still there for sure. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of nice to know that. Like, I definitely left, like, my sister's swimsuit bottom there, and she was really angry about it. And it's gonna be there. And it's gonna be there. You know, you know, my sister was like, you fired my swimsuit, and you went to Haiti, where is it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And I looked for it, I was like, oh, I'm so sorry, I lost it, I left it there. <laughs> But no one, it's not gonna be gone, it's gonna be there, you know? And is the, is the house, they built it in the village where they, where they, li where they lived, where they grew yeah, up? Yeah, my parents are country folk, they hate big city things. Oh. Like, my parents hate Miami. They don't come here. Mm. Like, whenever, like, they only come, When they come here, it's like my sibling, one of my siblings drives them here. <laughs> Because they don't like driving. And They're like, I'm not doing it. My father will yeah. not, my, both my parents drive, you know, when they drive in Palm Beach, but they will not, absolutely will not drive from um, Palm Beach to Miami. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all are crazy. Mm -hmm. My parents oh. hate it. My father just today was like, oh, you know you could move back here if you wanted to. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm okay where it is. It's just like not. Can you imagine commuting from fucking Palm Beach to Locust Projects every single day? Oh no, girl. Oh, you can't do that. I can barely deal with this. Like it goes. Sometimes it's like 25, 30 minutes to get there, and I'm just like, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna be late because I'm no. Like because there were three, four accidents on the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so my father's like, it's oh, not a big deal. Yeah. I've had I've had moments where it took me three hours to get from um, my house to Palm Beach after, during rush hour. Mm. No. No, not doing you. it. Mm. No. Bueno. How how was it for you to show these photographs and I mean I imagine very emotional photographs, right? In at Spinello. Like how was that for you? That I, exhibition? I will say that in work like it's weird. Like I've I probably met Anthony when I was like how old was I probably was? I was probably like early twenties, like not like old now, but like, it was like, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I was, I interned at Locust when I was younger. Interned at Diet in 2012, so probably sometime after that. Mm -hmm. I interned at Locust Projects, I interned at Locust Projects. And um, I met Anthony there. He was doing, I don't remember what he was doing, but he was like, hi, I'm Anthony Spinello. I have a gallery in Miami and I'm sure it was probably in like, at that point it was probably in Wynwood or like Alapata at some, somewhere. Um, and so I met him there years ago. And I personally, in a lot of my businessy relationships or relationships of that like, get professional, turn professional or like go back and forth, I um, get to know people for a while to see if there's someone I'm worth working with or it's just like a friend or someone I don't know. And um, I've realized that that works best for me. Mm -hmm. um, and Anthony, Oh, having like met him back then and then just like slowly progress into like getting to know him better. Um, I felt comfortable even presenting him with like the show for To Love Like a Woman, which is the, f the first project that really we started conceptualizing together. Um, he like, I was like, hey, I have this idea for a show. Like, can you just read it? Because I had never really curated anything, but I had like, for me, producing work and curatorial uh, studio community based 
all of that comes from me just like feeling compelled to do something and I write it down. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing down this like conversation that I was having with a friend about love and care. Um, Jessica, she uh, is part of Arts.Black and we were, we did a, we did a series of conversations together in Chattanooga in like uh, April of last year. And so I was really, we had been talking about care a lot and I had been talking about care and I was like, this keeps coming up. I want to talk about this in some other context. And my work is kind of a starting point. All my work is about care, really, in my photographs and like mm -hmm. everything is about care and the people around me. And so when I showed him the text, he like came into the studio visit, we talked and I was like, this is someone I can trust with my work. Mm -hmm. And like, that's something I think is really important. I think that like, I can get all the like, I guess, clout, cause that's like the word that I feel like it's being used a lot, but I can get all the clout in the world from just letting people show my work. But I also think there's an importance in like, who is allowed to show your work. Um, also like I, I have a nine to five job, personally. Um, so selling my work, although it is something I'm really interested in doing, and I love selling, I love like getting a check because I sold some work, like that's great. Like I'm not gonna act like that's not a good thing, but I also have income. Showing my work for me is like an act of resistance from like stereotypes and like standards that have been produced in our world. And that's why I liked photographing really was because I liked being able to like show what people around me look like. Um, my friends and my family, I started off photographing my friends. Of course, like every like millennial, I was like photographing my like attractive friends with their sneakers and things, you know what I mean? And so How early with, was with that, yeah. <laughs> and so like with Anthony, it was like, I trust Anthony to show my work. So the work that like, it feels very, it's very close to home. Like that work is like, was, the show is called Finding Home. Uh, the work is very close to home, but I also trusted Anthony to be the outlet to sell, to show that work. Um, and yeah, I just think that, Finding like if you like if you're gonna like work with a gallery in any way, there's if you feel like any bit of it being like I don't like this, it usually there's probably a reason for it, and I never felt that. And the two, I did two exhibitions with him pretty much back to back. It was because of the storm. It was first. Uh, I think Finding Home opened first. And first, then right, and yeah. then right after was your curatorial. Yeah. Is that correct? <laughs> Uh, I can't remember. I know I, I went to both, and I think I saw your photographs first, and then I went to the opening. Yeah, because to love like a woman was delayed because of the, like it was delayed because of the storm. It was mm -hmm. supposed to open before. We had mm -hmm. been talking about that f before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so like that's like it was really nice being able to do that because like I think that for showing this kind of work, I also have to think about the fact that some of these family members will almost never see this work in this context. Mm -hmm. I bring work back home. Um, speaking of, I need to print a bunch of it. Um, it's kind of this other this other thing. A lot of, I reserve a print from my, like my series, my set of photographs for, to be stored for family and friends to have at that house in Haiti. Um, and, it's part of that is for me like resisting like certain systems of capitalism that don't include people of color and like if my work does become like this like thing that people can sell for a lot of money this like blue chip situation my family members in Haiti that are you know living what would be considered below the poverty line in America have this piece of art that they if they wanted to and I wouldn't care they could sell like if my work starts selling for like hundreds of thousands of dollars and my like aunt 
sold my photograph, I would be like, yeah, do that. You know, like she can build a house in Haiti for right. It. She can build like twelve. Like you don't know, well, not twelve. <laughs> At that point, probably it'll be way different. But you know, like I, I wouldn't care. So part of it's like a lot of me is like thinking about those things as well when I show my work. Um, and I think that was just like the space that I felt comfortable doing it. Like I really appreciated being able to do that there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did it feel to to be like? Uh more or less first time curator and have like this very well known name you know uh, behind you and amazing space like it was a, it was a pretty big space too yeah it was a cool space it was a really awesome space um And, and beautifully the, curated and beautifully oh, said and you know I, i i still remember there was one video that was which one <laughs> Was it on the phone, like this conversation? With yeah, that's, that's uh, King, well, she goes by King Kuchi in her artwork, Julie Fliegenspan, she, Fliegenspan, that's how I think it's supposed to be pronounced. I, I think it means flying wood chip in German. German. Um, but she, Fliegen? Fliegenspan, like she said that that's like somebody wood told chip? her flying Fliegenspan. wood Fliegenspan. Yeah. Fliegenspan, uh-huh. Is it flying wood chip? Span, it's a wood chip. Yeah, it's a wood chip. Like, <laughs> yeah, Fliegenspan. <laughs> but she, it's just funny because she always says it. It's so funny. But um, yeah, so that, that piece, the, the baby mama video, is like one of my favorite pieces yeah. in the show. Actually, two of my favorite pieces are the are video pieces. The video um, pieces were very strong. Um, And she just uh, went to Sundance. She's gotten yeah. a Sundance. She just, just wow. the week just ended this week. So. I'm like I'm really super proud of her too for that. But um, and she's local in Miami. Mm -hmm. Everyone pretty much except for um, Barbara Lamoth, who was in Miami and moved to Amiens in France. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's it actually. Who are non-Miamians? Let me think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean it was really cool. I felt very cared for with the project. It was a lot of like. Um, There's a lot of meetings that were set before, um, lots of opportunities to have conversations. Um, Anthony is super like responsive to me about like things that I was concerned with. Um, I was like, you know, I can't guarantee sales from a show in this context, what can we do? And then we had a conversation about making it non-commercial and that for me was great because making it non-commercial meant we were able to give artists at least a basis for money and then if somebody was really interested in selling, we can have that conversation later. So I was able to give each artist like a participation, an a payment for participating. I think that that, like there's one of those things like with my work as an artist, arts organizer, I'm really concerned with like kind of Not, I wouldn't say breaking all the norms because some of them are there and they work, but also just like re like checking back with them. And I think that checking back on them, I mean, um, I think it's really important because certain things just aren't um, certain things just are archaic and just not aren't aren't like don't function. Yeah, yeah, they're not really um, They're not updating that very contemporary anymore. And group shows, you know, shows are great. Like, I'm like not gonna be like, oh, like, you know, fuck being in a show, you know, whatever, try to sell your work. But I also think that like, um, sometimes we put a lot of work into putting our work in a show. Uh, I just prepared my work for a show. I spent $200 on printing. Um, but I also have recently sold a decent amount of work. Um, I also work a nine to five job. So when I am working and like producing this work and spending all this money, for me, it's not like, and I will say it is absolutely amazing to be at a point in my life where I can just swipe my card for $200 for framing my work and be like, 
okay. You know what I mean? Like, I never thought I would be at a point in my life when I could do that. But I also have to be aware of the people who around me who I'm asking to do things. And I'm just, I can't personally, with a good conscience, t- conscience take from people in this way, especially when I know how much it just costs. Sometimes it's not gonna cost you a lot, but I know how much it costs. I know when you like are digging for like the cheapest of cheap frames that you can find just to get them on the fucking wall. You know what I mean? And so for me, it's like really, really important for me to do that. And I think of all of my work being an act of like resistance to what is happening and what we consider the norm and the standard um, because some of it is just fucking archaic and it just is, like there's nothing we can do about it. Um, my photographs are all about that. Like every, all the work I've been producing, especially right now, has been about that. And um, even the new work that I'm working on and the work that I'm kind of going back to, it's the same thing. Like it's about like breaking this like, s- s- this standard that we've produced for ourselves that, um, just doesn't allow us to really second guess certain things. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, this is something that I will say, like as someone, like I was just talking about like my, like the whole Google voice thing and like not wanting to be too close to people, um, which is like a whole, like very standard art world thing. Like I'm open, like my email's pretty open and things like that, but like some, like your cell phone feels a little too connected. But um, I also am like at this point where I'm like, maybe we need to start looking at these artists who like just walk in on, from the street and just like, hey, can you look at my work? Cause that's the standard that I grew up learning is not being okay too. Well, not grew up, but like, I will say that like I kept a very professional art world experience from the start. I started at Gallery Diet, which is now Nina Johnson with Nina. Like I learned so fucking much from Nina. Like I will say I would not be a professional, like professional in like the um, conceptual way. Like I wouldn't live and behave like a professional if I did not work with Nina first. Nina taught me how to be professional, also create working relationships and keep those working relationships. And um, this is like just gonna be like a whole thing where I'm like Nina and like all these people I've worked with are but just you amazing. Are but I love everybody I'm working with, like because I think no, but it's, it I matters. think it's so important because our I mean our podcasts are also meant to be educational for yeah. for young people who just start out and are yeah. at FIU and they, it's their first semester, you know, and that's important for them to hear that that is something that you really, you know profited off you know that's yeah. something that really made you who you are or the artist that you are now or the professional that you are now you know yeah and it was like just like an email that went out to my contemporary art class um which was taught by Alpesh Patel who just did like a talk at Locust with Pepe like a like small one and I was just telling him like I was like yeah like you're that email like launch I will say that email launched my professional career and I wouldn't say launch, it wasn't like this like, you know, it was just like, it kind of like, or like it got my professional career on like a steady little like 30 mile per hour train, you know what I mean? And yeah, there was like struggle years for sure. Like like basically two years ago was super struggle year. But um, yeah, like I think that like starting with Nina really gave me a foundation for professionalism in the field. Um, but even, even so, I think that there's certain things that like we need to start like rethinking. Um, in general, like ideas of like who is or is an outsider artist and things like that. Um, I have friends who are some of the best artists I know who are technically considered outsider artists because of like um, 
like norms and standards of how we're supposed to talk about art and how we're supposed to receive work, how we're supposed to produce work, what makes work valid, you know, all of that. And so, yeah, I think that like the, yeah, I don't know, like my, it started there and then I went to Locust and then I worked at Scope as an intern there. Where else did I work? The, 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 your resume is really impressive because I was always thinking, when did she do all those things? And oh, were, all of them at the same but, time. <laughs> but it's like you're you're now in a master's degree, you're working nine to five, you're preparing for a show, so it's always like you're like up 24 hours a day or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's funny because I just I was just when I was just hanging out with my friends, we were talking about like relationships because you know that's you know girls that you talk about, and um, we we're just I was just saying like. I'm really fucking busy and I just need a relationship to be just like chill. <laughs> like I like I am super busy all the time. I just need like my partner to just be like about like cuddling me <laughs> to make sure I'm okay, orgasms and like you can be my plus one all the time. You know what I mean? Like, and like, I also like, like a snarky partner, like someone who's like kind of silly and like shitty because when you're my plus one, we can sit there and judge people together. Like, that's it. Like, I don't really ask for a lot because I have everything else handled. Like I just do. And maybe it's also because I was like single, I've been like single for a while that like may be able to like be at that point. Maybe, With the I don't requirements, know, like, must do, totally. <laughs> yeah, like that's I'm- That's the screening. <laughs> I'm taking applications, let me know. Um, but like, yeah, like it was like, that was like one of those things is like, yeah, I'm like a very busy person and I do all these things because it's just how I, I function best when I'm, I have a lot going on. Um, oh, yeah, same thing, yeah. But it's also like, I love crashing like this last, let me think, when was the last time I went to Haiti? I went to Haiti, I went to Haiti, <laughs> Also, like the past few years, I've traveled a decent amount to where I can't remember when I was somewhere. Were you there post-hurricane? Huh? In Haiti, post-hurricane season? Like after they got, like they got hit before we did. Uh, before, I feel like it was before. When was Irma? September? August. August? Before, okay. before, before. Um, but, but my family's chill. Like that's another thing too, is like, hey, I hate Caribbean countries, I think, especially poor Caribbean countries, life just goes on. Whereas here, we're like, fuck, like we're like freaking out. Whereas they're just like, are you going to market tomorrow? You know, I'm like, we don't have any potatoes. And like, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm probably gonna go. Like, I'll see if they have any potatoes, you know? Like, it's like, oh, I can't go today because this, and it's like, everyone cares for each other. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I- You chill in, in Haiti, right? You, yeah, you like I went to yeah. Haiti and I just like slept for like two days, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was great. And then I woke up and then like, I only had a few more days left really, but yeah. And like, I went to Haiti, this time I went to Haiti was really weird because I had never done this, but like I flew into Haiti by myself. Usually I fly with my parents. This time I flew by myself and met my parents. It was like super great. Like, well, I technically flew by myself. I, flew, I was supposed to, be, supposed to be flying with myself and then my aunt actually ended up flying the same flight with me. So we ended up meeting each other there together. Um, but yeah, like I just, I, I, I've like at one point, like, let me think. Um, During Common Field, I was a Common Field planning partner. You were partner. organizing in that. Yeah, I was a right. Common Field planning partner. I was working at the Miami Rail, um, and I was also a full-time visitor services at ICA, um, and then also showing my work. It's just, I don't know when I'm gonna like not be one of those people though. So I'm trying to figure that out. Like that's my thing is like when is like when am I one of those people who just works one job, or am I always gonna be one of those people who works more than one job? Um, but then again, I also see a decent examples of people who do the similar things and have like all the other things in life, the personal life things that I think are really important as well. I think it's really important to balance yourself out and like have um, 
friendships and cool. relationships with your family and like romantic relationships if that's something you're interested in and like um, fun like I think you're like it's important to do that um, when I find myself not doing fun things and like not like well I like working so working is fun for me but like you know like when I find myself not doing things to like turn myself off for a day or like um, you know disconnecting then I'm like okay maybe this is the point where you need to like roll it back you know um, but yeah I don't know I, that's yeah. yeah, but I feel also you're really passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, I really what, care And it's a lot. also a lot about, <laughs> and it's all a lot about the community as well. You know, it's not just like your artwork. It's not just about yourself. You know, it's not. It's it's. It's, it's, like about it's about the people around you. The people yeah. around you always. So it, I feel like that gives you a lot of energy to to kind of fight fight for it in a way, right? Yeah, I think everything I do is about like sharing space with people because I think that there's like. I don't know, that's not, not no way around it because that sounds like kind of negative. Like, I don't know, just like, that's what you're doing. Like, everywhere we go, we're like, there's people around us, right? Like, there's like people just like existing within the space with us. And the people you choose to have near you are the people who are like, for whatever reason, like destined to be really close to you or really important to care about. Um, and yeah, I just think that it's really like this thing that I think is very, important to, to make take note of is that there are people who are right around you. And even people who I'm like, I love so much and I care about so much who I don't see and talk to very regularly, I think are really important to like think, to like recall mm -hmm. in my work. Um, and I think that's why photography is such a, like an easy like thing to connect to. Um, and now, in like art, doing like kind of really arts organizing. I, I, that's why I categorize myself as like an arts organizer because it's about like community and space and less about like administration. Like arts, and I at first for a long time I called myself an arts administrator. It's mostly because one of my titles was an administrator title. Um, but I was like, what does this mean about all this other stuff that I do that is all about the same thing? Um, and it's also like not biting my tongue in like the face of injustice and discrimination, which also gets me some shit for sure. Um, but I think it's really important to like remind people that like when we produce work, when we do things, there are humans looking at it and experiencing it. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's like there's you know these people have these like these people in this world have this standard of like art's supposed to like make you angry or like whatever. And it's like angry is not the right word you're looking for. Art's supposed to like make you react. It's supposed to make you create discursive opportunities. It's supposed to do all of this. And instead what we're doing is we're just like, sometimes, not everyone, always, sometimes what we're doing is we're just like producing for the sake of what we wanted to put on paper and not thinking about the people that are gonna be looking at it whatsoever. And I just think it's an important thing to do because I think, I think back to like being like, you know, a little black girl with Haitian parents who barely spoke, not barely, but like spoke broken English, you know? And I think that like if I were producing work and not concerned about like those aspects of my identity or like those aspects of other people's identity, I would have made work that were kind of shitty. And like I think of like children um, a lot when I think of um, how we're representing, how we're showing work and what we're showing. Um, and I want kids to go into spaces and feel like, I want to talk about this. I don't want kids to walk into a space and feel like that made me feel bad. 
And I think that maybe, like, maybe I'm just like, I care too much sometimes. Maybe that's what part of it. But I also think that, like, thinking of children as, like, your your default instead of thinking of like curators and like fucking like art historians who will try to like even add like people who like sometimes there's people who just like try to add all this like conversation and like all of this like meaning and emphasis and like perspective to work that sometimes people just make shitty work because they don't give a fuck about anyone else Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like some people just make work that's like you know offensive it's like shitty and like misogynistic and like racist xenophobic and it's like they just make it because they want to and they don't care about anyone else don't try to make it seem like they're trying to like change the world sometimes they just don't give a fuck you know um and And they make money with it you know right and you and you can do that you do that and it's fine but and it's fine for you but also like we need to like stop giving energy to trying to make that work seem like legitimate yeah not i don't know if legitimate is the right word i don't know make that work seem like it's anything more than just for shock value and controversy. If that's what you want to do, do that. But I also think it's really important to be responsible about the what that we're putting out into the world because I think that the world is shifting quite a lot and we're like, one of the big things for me is like, we're at this opportunity in this world right now to really fucking like show the next generation our best self. Sorry, it makes me like really like emotional. We're at this point where we can show the next generation like our best selves. And like how do we as like people come together, produce work as artists, like um policemen, photographers, like our work, put every emphasis like so much emphasis on all our work on care for the people around us, we would live so differently. But instead, I think that we find ourselves sometimes just being so maybe narcissistic and self-concerned and self like, just so self-absorbed that we just like forget there are other people experiencing our work with us. If your work is just a studio practice that stays in your studio and like you just like, I don't know, like, rage to like get it out and like walk out into the world and like change that cool but if we're making work that's going to go up on a wall and we're going to do this it's like what does this benefit anyone um i had a very similar interesting conversation recently which like my sister was like you're tell- you're saying too much to this girl leave her alone this girl I know, i'm not gonna like reveal too much about it but she basically messaged me because she knew or i guess i'm gonna using context clues maybe dated a guy that i'm friends with um and they aren't friends anymore or whatever and like whatever blah 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 and she was like trying to like I guess was like she was like I don't want you don't say anything to him but like you can tell it's clear that she wanted me to maybe like reach out and like say hey she's really sorry or whatever but she like you know and so she started talking and then like she was texting me messaging me or something like that and I was just like which is like girl um (laughs) just like weird it's such a strange thing to do but one of the things she said was like I did this thing that was really terrible and now he doesn't want to talk to me and I just wanted to talk to me and I was just like Circle back to that thing where you said you did something shitty. And I literally, and I, and I think she, I think maybe part of it is she expected me to be like, I'm really, I, I understand like, you know, cause sometimes, sometimes I kind of get it. Like you just want to like get closure, or like talk to this person. But if the person's literally like doing everything they can to avoid you, like the fucking plague, let them do that and shut up. That be your closure. Like that is like, sometimes people don't have to like, sometimes people don't have to take your shit. And I think that's a big thing with like my work too and like with work in general as artists is like there's like this big thing and like 
this is me gonna, I'm like, I told my friends, I'm like, I feel like I'm gonna go down a soapbox at some point here, but this is a big thing. And it's related to this, a lot of this, when it comes to care is like, and caring and caring about other people and caring about the work and how it goes out. It's really also important to think about like, to be okay and open with the, with the criticisms you're gonna get. And and I will, and people like to see like, Miami just doesn't have any criticism, and it lacks criticality. And I think, yeah, Miami, but I think in general, the criticality is like minimal in a lot of places. I think a lot of people say it's just Miami or people who like don't look and read. Some, a lot of the critical pieces that are being produced are not that critical at all, or they're like critical in the, like the most unnecessary and like kind of shitty way where they like use really like derogatory terms towards people like derogatory like um like coded words towards the people who are uh they're talking about but i think like when we make work and maybe it's like shitty work we need to be open to the criticisms about that work whether you decide to change it is up to you or whether you decide to like change the way you produce based on that is up to you. But I think it's really important to be open to criticism of your work. And I'm, and like that's the thing for me too is like most of the criticism I've gotten, well, aside from like a few things in life, were pretty valid. Like if you have a criticism of it, it and it's valid or not, I will take that and listen to it. And I think that like sometimes, oftentimes, criticism is read as censorship. And it's like sometimes I want to like throw a book of like what is censorship to people because like let's talk to like Philippe Dodar who's like had to deal with Tonto Makut running into his house like the police people but in Haiti but running into his house and trying to see what he was producing and destroying what was bad destroying what was was a critical of the politicians right mm -hmm. that's censorship somebody saying your work's problematic and shitty not censorship because you still can produce it you can still show it where the fuck you want to you know and I think that if, if we thought about care when we produce work we would like be able to listen to these criticisms of our work and when someone says something is problematic we'd be able to be like okay what did i do what, like what in this is problematic okay they're telling me what this is it in it that's problematic i now have the opportunity to either remake the work or go back to the work and like discuss that with someone get perspectives on from other people on it um also get perspectives from the people um who might be affected by it, you know? Yeah. I also, I, I mean, although I don't like to say who can make work about what, I think that that's pretty valid to, when we say that, it's pretty valid because oftentimes when those criticisms come up, it's usually because the perspective's really off. And, right. yeah. and so if the perspective is off already to begin with, then take that criticism and remake the work or talk about that. I think it's so nice to be able to even make work and to work in a field where we can, like, we can, like, what it, like, is the word, converse, I guess is the word I'm probably looking yeah. for, where we can, like, converse and create these, like, discursive opportunities. We have, like, we get to do like fucking panel discussions about these types of topics and we get to do all of this stuff. We get to do this podcast right here, um, you know? And like, I think that's really awesome. But I do find a lot of people who are like so resistant to having like that part of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, and that frustrates the shit out of me because it's like the best thing about the arts is like being able to just like fucking talk to people. Well, I think um, about a little bit just to yeah address what you were saying. Okay, great. Um, this negotiation, I call it of intimacy, almost of spaces, as you were saying, is mm -hmm. what I experienced when I saw your artwork. And um, I'm curious if you 
with the materials you use in your medium, which is photography, do you also seek an intimacy in using like the more older archaic kind of photo type of processes or are you more, you know, modern and contemporary and you're just like, okay, I'll just go digital. Like how is that um, relationship with you in the media that you use? I will say that like, maybe I am like one of those people who's just like, everything has to be precious, but uh, yeah, I mean, I use, so, I think part of the reason why I still shoot this way is only because it's like the camera, the cameras that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. There's something about the image quality that's just different from a film than in, from digital. And you can manipulate digital to do the same thing, but it's like I could also just shoot it in film, you know? So I shoot um, with two cameras. I use a Rolleiflex 2.8, which I bought for like $300 when I was like in college, and now wow. it's like almost in the $2,000 range, um, and a Fuji GS645 wide, um, which is like a, the, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> like really bad the, the, the Rolleiflex is a six by six centimeter camera, so it's like, the images are like about that big, yeah. square, and then the, from on the negative, and then the, a G, the GS645 is a six by six four five six six by, what is, is it? Is it white like those? It's like that. It's the medium format 120, mm -hmm. but it's like the orientation of the other one is like half, like a uh, little wider, little taller than a 35 millimeter image. Mm -hmm. Six. It's six by 0.45 or something. I, I don't know. I never remember what it's it is, but it's it's small. Um, so it's it's smaller, but it's still bigger than like 35 millimeter. And um, I started shooting with those cameras because I honestly just had like extra money. And I was like, I'm gonna try this with that camera, with the Rolleiflex. And then eventually I got this GS645. Um, so I use that because I've, I'm very familiar with it. Metering is a little different with digital cameras than it is from film cameras. So like. I just keep using film. Um, if I had to shoot a wedding, like weddings and things like that, I shoot film, digital just because it's way easier. Unless they really, like, really want to like have that, which is like, like my things is always just like, are you? Do you know that you might lose all your images if something happens? Like, if like the dark room, you know, what I mean? it just could happen. You know what I mean? If the dark room fucks chemicals, something up, you can lose right chemical. And that's film. the thing. Yeah. I'm like, I'm also, I'ean, and that's that's a conversation that came up recently with a, with someone who's like, he was like, yeah, like this place ruined my film, and I was like, it's film, dude. Like that happens. Like I've lost negatives all the time. I had a roll of I had a roll that would not wind properly after I pulled it out of the camera. And I was in fucking Haiti in the heat of this fucking sun. Half the fucking negative is black. You know, whatever. But I, it's like that just happens. That's like the risk you take by shooting this fucking medium that's super temperamental. Or sometimes you go through TSA and they don't want to fucking hand check your film and you have to run it through the machine. Another situation that could happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess for me, part of it is also like just like not being too it's precious in a certain way because of this like it's expensive and it does these all these things but it's also like not precious in the sense that it could be lost and like that's fine but I shoot film but I scan them because I don't have anywhere to print it basically like if I had a place to print color film I would keep printing them but I don't have space for it I don't have a place for it I don't have anywhere to like if I try to put a darker in my house it'd be the most expensive thing in the whole world because color is so weird and more expensive um but yeah, I, I still shoot film-ish. That's like, it's film-ish. Like I shoot the film, process the film, scan it. <laughs> and then print it digitally. So that's like, 
a big thing. Maria yeah. has one last question for you. Well, okay. first, you you said that you're working on a new show. Is it already ready to okay. announce, or do you want to? Well, there's a show coming up and on Thursday of this week, February 1st, and I, oh. it opens February 1st. It closes March, like, I'm so sorry, March 20-something. Um, and that one is at FAU. It's nice. called South by Southeastern. It's a um, exhibition of work by artists based in the Southeast of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, lots of people that I've recognized their names, which is cool. Um, and that opens on the 1st of February. And then um, I'm currently just working on new projects. And then first new thing that I'm working on is uh, a, f a series of video projects, video works, which is kind of new for me. Um, I grew up doing theater and like draw, like art and all that. Um, and I'm a tr vocally trained singer. Wow. What fun fact? Yeah, like it's gonna be like one day. One day there's gonna be like a. Um, High School Musical. There's gonna be like a, a trivia quiz. It's like random like art fact. Like one person in the back of the room is gonna be like, she was a vocally trained singer, I knew it. You know, like what? what is this artist's special skill? Um, and so I was a vocally trained singer. I sang like, like Broadway type music. And wow. I haven't done that in a really long time. And so I've been like itching to do it again. So I'm currently being vocally trained again to like I'm starting next week um, to go back to it. And I'm gonna be producing um, work basically um, taking on the personas, performances of artists, black women who sang blues and jazz back in the day, who were also identified as, identified as queer by other people. Mm -hmm. um, so there was like this point in time where there was like all these like black jazz singers and blues singers who were like kind of living their like, I guess, Sodom, and Gamora type lifestyle to the people outside of them, but really just like trying to explore their queerness. Um, Ma Rainey being the first one. She's also called, I'm starting with Ma Rainey mostly because of like the, my like relationship right now to so the idea of like l ugliness and like my attractiveness. And she was considered one of the, there was somebody who once said that she was the ugliest woman in show business. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of, it resonated with me in a certain way, like this like kind of like brash and like oh. shitty way of saying something to someone, but also like, Ma Rainey is also known for being like the type to be like, I can get any person I want, mm -hmm. you know? And I really enjoy like the, the, that, and also just like the idea of being like a queer person in like the 1920s and 30s is like, yeah. I don't know, like I can barely handle half that, that shit now, you know? Like I can barely handle like that part of my identity now, like in the public in certain ways. So it's like crazy to think of somebody who's like, I can't handle like p other like out like not to say I can't handle like I'm fine but like I can't handle like other people's opinions sometimes of certain things like their negative opinions so idea the idea of like being in a society that was so outwardly homophobic and shitty and still being like I can get you what I want mm -hmm. is like dope as fuck so like that was like where it kind of started and I was like listening to like a lot of like. Ma Rainey and like I was just like this is something I want to do so it's gonna be hard because it's like not I'm vocally getting vocally trained again mostly because like I don't know yeah I went through a phase of like smoking cigarettes and like I don't know like I just like I haven't maybe you're grittier now maybe you're, your voice well, like, oh your register has I'm changed I'm gonna all of a sudden just be like you know like <laughs> I'm gonna be like I don't Jazzy. know like 
cabaret singer yeah. or something. Do you have a timeline for that project, Amelia? I'm trying to have I'm trying to have at least one done okay. by the summer. Nice. That's the goal is to do that. So like, yeah, I just like we're feel... looking forward. Well, will you have your info on our website for people to look you up? And... Very last question. Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, three wishes. Three wishes. The rocking chair. Uh, the rocking chair grants you three wishes. Magical. Okay. And if you say it out loud, it's gonna come true because the chair is magical. Um, what would you three wishes be? You can wish for anything. Um, okay. Fuck. I'm on the spot. Um, I wish, and, and this is like super long standing, so like none of us will probably ever see it. I just wish that there's going to be a point in time where kids can be themselves wholeheartedly um, without the pressures of the culture, of the societal um, norms around them. And I mean this in the sense that like parents will be able to, will be equipped with what they need to give those children what they want. Um, and not just to say that like kids can just like be, you know, to do whatever. I just think that like this idea that like part of the reason why I think a lot of kids have issues is parents don't have the equipment to teach that. Um, that's number one. <laughs> number two, um, I just wish for like, I don't know, like financial stability for myself and the people I know and like people in general, but like I really want financial stability. Like I'm stable financially, but like I also like have this like fear like all the time that like something bad's gonna happen and like I'm gonna be like, fuck, I don't have any money, you know? Like, cause it happens all the time where like, like just the other day my dog got sick and I had to spend an extra $50 at Aww. the doctor with her. Cute, but also just because she was just, eating stuff oh, you know no. what I mean like stop eating weird stuff dude stop like it's like this like just stop eating that um <laughs> uh, let's two. just like just like stability actually let me go back to that and say stability in like life like the outward things like yeah. that because mental stability is already hard to accomplish as it is and then yeah mental stability really is like um it's one of those things that I find that the more success I guess I have, the more I'm like, am I an imposter, you know? And like, the things that should be so like, I guess standard, like, oh, you're good at this. Like I, like it's like so frustrating sometimes I have with myself where I'm just like, you're good at this, shut the fuck up. And other times I'm just like, just like, oh my God, why are they? Like even like today with coming here, I'm like, why do they want to talk to me? This is like, you know what I mean? But then it's also like I, and then I sit down and I'm like able to just get through it and it's not a big deal. But just like, just before I was talking to my friends and I'm like, they're like, let me come with you. Let's come with you. And I'm just like, you don't want to come here and like listen to me ramble. Why would you do that? Um, and then I'm like speaking on Thursday. You ramble, they'll listen to the podcast for sure. <laughs> oh, but yeah, then I'm gonna share it. They're gonna be like, oh god. Um, <laughs> Shout out but, to your friends who are waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, like, I don't know, like, every time I speak somewhere publicly, I'm like, oh, like, why are you, why are you even here to listen to me talk? You know what I mean? And then, like, I get through it and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is really awesome, you know? So, mental balance, that's a good one. Yeah. So, like, just like the ability to, like, let myself fucking be sometimes. Um, but then again, it's also important to, like, criticize, to, like, give yourself some criticism and things to work on. I'm, like, also don't want to be one of those people who's just like, I'm perfect. <sighs> Michelle, Lisa Policy, the baddest of all bitches. You know, <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Like, that's, like, not. Like the singer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, yes. Like, I'm the baddest bitch. <laughs> I got was like I saw this like I saw this like meme and it was like six songs that make a black that make a a Florida girl 
that a Florida girl can't resist, and that was one of the songs. True. I was like, yeah, that's 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 real. Like, I can't wait for that. My Twitter, my Twitter, like location says Trina taught me instead of because <laughs> it's just like that's real. Like that's like I think of I think of when I think of my like origins, my South Floridian origins. I think of like Haiti, the Caribbean, Trina. <laughs> Trina, if you're out there. Shout out to Trina. I saw her perform at the Borscht thing, and I was like, oh, my God. And that same night, I also saw Kalila perform. And then, like, the same, like, that in that same week, I also saw The Weeknd, oh, not The Weeknd, um, I saw The Internet, and then I also saw Valerie June, and it was, like, the best, like, music week I've ever had in my life. It was the best. Wow. <laughs> but that, and that's also, like, very indicative of, like, my music list, my music taste. It's, like, this black country singer, <laughs> woman, black woman rapper, uh, it's like kind of like soul, yeah, yeah. neo-soul singers, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> and wish number three. Alrighty, guys, we have all the three wishes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, so it's financial best. stability, emotional stability, and like kids being able to being fucking kids. live. kids, yes, yeah. live and love Thank it. you so much, Elisa. Thank you, Maria Dresden. Thank Woo. you, Michelle. Thank Yay. you so much, that Michelle. That was 50 minutes? You. Girl, I'm telling you. That was 60 you. minutes. <laughs> 60, what oh my time. God, whoa. Thank you so boom, much, guys, boom. for Sorry listening. Sorry I talked so much. Thank you for sharing your stories. It was amazing. And thank you for <laughs> genuine love. We're going to be back next Monday. Yes. Check in, guys. Volume Bye. 30. 20. No? 43. 43. 43. Oh, my God. I mean, it's been a long day, you guys. Yeah. Okay. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye, guys.